Hello, and welcome to the second edition of Off-Road, a road less traveled podcast with me, Pete Pomisano. Well, I got such tremendous feedback from the first podcast with Brian Kavanaugh, because as I said, everybody loves Brian Kavanaugh. And uh, I thank you all for your kind comments and for your support. And I hope that you're back again for a second listen. And I just found out that we are now available through iTunes, which is fantastic. You can subscribe to us and listen to us like you would any other podcast. And uh, never miss an episode, because I know you'd hate to miss an episode. This time, I'm speaking to Colin Debkowski. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with Mr. Debkowski's work, for several years, he was the primary theater critic for the Buffalo News. And he was also the man who would send out his team of reviewers to various plays around the city, and they would write the reviews, and uh, we would all complain about them, those of us in the theater community, and we would deny that we read them, but uh, we read them. Well, many of us did anyway. And we would always agree with them when they said something good, and we would always disagree with them when they said something bad. That's just the nature of the animal. That's the way things are. We end up agreeing with those who agree with us and disagreeing with those who disagree with us. Does that sound familiar? Are you familiar with the political landscape in the country right now? Well, that's the way it works. Anyway, right from the very beginning, I knew that Colin Dipkowski was somebody I was going to want to talk to because here's what happened. Colin is no longer working for the Buffalo News. This man who was so visible for the longest time just suddenly became invisible and I had never really met him. He was very nice to me the one time I had two words with him. I was waiting to talk to my dear friend Saul. And Colin walked up and said, hello, Peter. And I was taken aback. And I said, oh, hello, Colin. Uh, and, and that was all we said. And then I got back on to my desire to talk to Saul. And that was pretty much the end of it. So we'd never had a conversation before. We'd never even really been formally introduced. But when I messaged him and said, would you be interested in coming on a podcast? He said, sure. <laughs> I was surprised, but uh, ultimately thrilled. So for those of you who don't know who Colin Dabkowski is or where he came from, you're about to find out. And for those of you who wondered really what was going through his mind when he was writing all of those things about you, you're about to find out. Here's Colin Dabkowski on Road Less Traveled's Off-Road. I just have a bunch of questions because okay, great. you've sort of you've sort of disappeared from the from the public eye. I have, yeah. And and for a long time you were so visible mm -hmm. and uh, and frankly so important to the Buffalo theater community, if nothing else, right. and arts in general. So really what I want to talk about in, specifically is, you know, what you've been doing. Yeah. But I also want to start way back at the beginning. <laughs> I should probably welcome you first. This is Colin Dibkowski, and this is... This is Off-Road is the name of this crazy, uh, uh, this crazy podcast. Um, 
I, I want to well, go into your background. Where, where did you come from? I know, you, I, of course, I did all my Facebook research. <laughs> <laughs> I looked up your Facebook stuff. And yeah, sure. Went to Starpoint, Lockport, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. you went to Syracuse. That's how I learned about that. And then somehow you became a, a, a very important guy in uh, at, at the Buffalo News and then in Buffalo Theater. And so tell me tell me about your background. Well, Where, first of all, I just want to say thanks for inviting me on. Oh, I've been a huge fan of yours for many years. Oh, that was very nice of you to say, anytime, but I'm just going to cut that right now. <laughs> anytime I see you on a cast list, it sort of makes my day oh, better because I know I'm going to have something good to write about. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, and I mean it genuinely. Um so, yeah, I mean, I like I, like you said, I've been off the scene for a little bit um, since I, I left the news about a month ago. Um, but even before that, I was just doing um, editing instead of writing, mm-hmm. not not my own decision. And, you know, uh, it was a little heartbreaking at the mo- at the time, but, but I've moved on to other stuff and we can talk about that. Sure. But but um, about your question, how I got into it is. Really, just the normal way. Like, I always loved to write as a teenager. I was huge into writing, um, creative writing and nonfiction writing. And just I wrote about everything. I was that nerdy kid who just kept a journal, <laughs> you know, um, and with all my teenage drama that was going on. And I figured, well, how, how can I make a career out of this? I had some great teachers, and they kind of propelled me along and sort of encouraged me to follow writing as a career path. And um, I was lucky enough that my dad worked at Niagara University, Yes. So um, they had tuition exchange program with Syracuse. Oh, really? Which is okay. how I could afford to go there. Sure. Um, so I really I worked hard to get into Syracuse and then into the Newhouse School there, which is uh, one of the top journalism schools in the country. Okay. And I really just f- um, found my passion for for writing and for journalism in school. Um, and I worked on the student newspaper called the Daily Orange there, and just got a real. Uh, frankly, egotistical addiction to seeing my own name in, in print, um, which I think a lot of and people... now the truth comes out. Sure. I mean, I, that's... I think at, any journalist um, probably experiences that at some point in their life. Um, but that's kind of what uh, propelled me uh, to keep going with it. Certainly, there's ego involved and in, in enjoying seeing, seeing something you do move the conversation one way or the other. Um, so I started doing that in college. And then... After I graduated, I but, bounced around. Me, for, but uh, the but journalistic writing, yeah, that's not something you weren't doing that in high school. When you say you you know you were right you were writing, it's such a different style and it's such is. a different road to take. But I guess writing is writing. I guess. But I think the how, how did you get toward you know, steered toward journalism? Is it, it because well because there's no market for creative writing? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a a very um, pragmatic. Uh, computation in my head how can I turn this into money and not have to rely on my parents right oh, good. and I looked around you know how do professional writers make a living and journalism to me was the most exciting of all the available and the most like practical of sure. all the available paths like you get to meet cool and it, people and it could lead to other things you could could lead to you know you could be publishing books right now maybe you will eventually yeah exactly I mean the door is like open to any kind of writing you want to do but it was a pragmatic decision in high school and college you know how can I how can I make a career out of this writing thing Mm -hmm. that I love so much and it became about fitting my somewhat more creative writing style um, into the formulas of journalism Mm -hmm. Um, and I never I don't think I was ever totally successful at doing that um, because I at at heart I am somewhat more of an experimental or like creative writer and I always felt like I was shoehorning myself into like um, 
you know, mm-hmm. the pages of the Buffalo News or whatever publication I happen to be writing for. But that's how you get the paychecks, right? Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, that's a common artistic <laughs> sort of did, problem. So did you, but but you were always interested in the arts. Yeah, some absolutely. Way or mm-hmm. So how did that, how did you go from journalism were you a journalism major? Yeah, I majored in magazine journalism and Spanish. So those were my two kind of obsessions in college. And did you, so then the focus became the arts in some way or another? Well, how that happened is just by happenstance, like my predecessor, Richard Huntington, who you, yes. you probably remember sure. was the art and then eventually theater critic at the paper for many years, um, who's a genius. And I was always trying to live up to the um, example that he set. Well, he retired in around 2006. And the fact of the matter was I had no particular interest in in becoming the art or theater critic at the Buffalo News, but that was the position they had available. It was open. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and who was I to decline it? Do you know no, what I mean? Oh, jeez, no. Yeah. Uh, they, were, they called me up at that time. I was living in New Orleans. I had lived in San Francisco for a little over a year doing publishing work. And so I was bouncing around and they called me and said, hey, we remember you were like a good intern. Mm-hmm. We have this job coming up. Do you want to come up and talk about it? And I said... Yes, I was working yeah. at Whole Foods at the time, so <laughs> I was like, hundred percent." So I showed up like you know this twenty-four-year-old um, with very little experience writing about the arts um, to become the full-time arts critic at the Buffalo News. It was a kind of, frankly, an insane uh, decision, which I'm very happy was made. Um, but it wasn't like I had some sort of impressive background in the arts and um, what except I for, except yeah. for an interest in in, yeah. in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I, I consider myself a pretty big generalist. You know, I like to I like to know a little bit about a lot of different things. Yeah. So that was kind of my approach as I started at the news was being honest. You know, I'm I'm learning along with all of you, and that made me plenty of enemies. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's part of the job too. Uh, and I, I like to think, you know, after 4,500 articles or so that I wrote, that I, I did a pretty decent job at capturing what was going on artistically in, in Western New York. Did you have people working for, not for you, uh, under you? And it's kind of an odd way to put it, but you were in charge of the, uh, of the entire arts, or were you not? No, no. The only thing I really ran was the theater coverage. Like, okay. I... I more or less insisted. But you, you did run that. Yeah, okay. I more or less insisted on on having control over um, assignments, um, and rec- and there were some pre-existing theater writers that I didn't recruit, like Ted Hadley, for many years. Oh, yeah. Rest in peace. Yes. Um, and some other contributors occasionally, but I I feel very responsible for bringing up bringing Ben Siegel back into the fold. Mm-hmm. We were interns together, and uh, and also. Uh, bringing Tony Chase onto the news. That was like a major project of mine at the end of my tenure there. Something really important to me um, oh, really? to have him there. Yeah. So I did, I did sort of oversee the theater coverage, but in terms of other art stuff, I was kind of a one man band. Yeah. Yeah. It was, what, was yeah. bringing Tony in part of the, when you knew you were moving on? Yeah. I had been moved off of the arts desk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought to myself, well, I was really annoyed at it. I'm not going to uh, beat around the bush. It was a terrible decision. And I, I wish I had never happened. I'd, I'm sure I'd still be there today. Mm-hmm. If not for that decision, um, there are a lot of reasons for it that we don't need to get into. But I thought the least I could do is try to get somebody smart about theater to come on board because the readers deserve that. Yeah. And, and I didn't want to see nobody it. Nobody smarter about theater stuff than, than no Anthony, one. for sure. And like, 
in the country, I think. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're very you, lucky you get to have no it. argument. No, no, you get no argument from me about that. So, yeah. So so then, all right, so now you, for circumstances that you, we haven't gotten into, you've been moved off and you've decided to move on? Yeah, um, I'm going into teaching. Um, so I've been in school at Buff State for the last year or so, a little over a year. And yeah, I'm student teaching in the spring, and I'll be teaching high school English in next fall. High school English? You know, that's where I came from. I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, we'll have to have an off we'll have the discussion. record. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'll tell you. Well, I shouldn't get into it now because I, this is really about you, and I don't have all that much time. But sure, I I, I was an English major, and I had no business doing anything. And I had, I had this professor at Canisius who basically said, oh, education classes are a crock, you know. <laughs> and, and he was right. They are mostly a crock. But he, what he was wrong about is that when you graduate with an English degree, you know, they all said, well, you can do anything you want with an English degree. Well, no, you uh, can't. Yeah, that's, a, you know? that's nonsense. So Canisius <laughs> sort of invented a master's program for all of the, all of the, I believe it was all of the students of this particular uh, professor. Yeah. So we could immediately go in and get within, within six months, we had uh, uh, enough classes to do student teaching. Mm -hmm. And then by January of the following year, we were student teaching. And by the following year, I had a job. That's amazing. And we're, and that's where I stayed for 30 years. What district were you in? Lakeshore Central. Okay. In Angola. And at the time, Colin, I didn't know anything about I didn't know anything about pensions, I didn't know anything about salaries. I still kept my first my first salary uh, uh, notice, I don't I can't I think it was like $4,000. I don't know what it was. <laughs> it was ridiculous 1973. Right. And and it occurred to me that that all of a sudden people around me were retiring and I thought why, why is everybody retired? I didn't know anything about pensions. Yeah. And it, it was not something that I was even aware of. I was just I was just trying to keep my head above water. Those yeah. first four or five years of teaching, you just, you have nothing in your toolbox. Exactly. And nothing to, to how am I going to keep the kids busy for 45 minutes? All right, I'm off. I off feel I'm, like I have a I'm few gonna, things in my toolbox, and I've been spending lots of time in classrooms and very excited to go in that direction. It's always something that I've thought about doing. You can't, you cannot observe teachers enough. Yeah. Just everyone, you, you, you'll pick up a little something and you'll, I used to have a guy who said, uh, you know, take what you want, adapt what you want, yeah. throw out the rest. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's th those three things. Just if there's, if you see anything they like, take it. Absolutely. If you see anything that you sort of like, adapt it to something that fits your personality and everything else just throw in the garbage. And I said, okay, fine, that works for me. That's a great philosophy. Well, those were the guys, those were the teachers who actually meant something. They were the guys from, believe it or not, they were sponsored by NYSET, the teachers union. Yeah. So this guy was, a, you know, he was a, a NYSET sponsored class. Yeah. And that was one of the things I learned from him. And he was absolutely right because totally. he, he knew that not everything he was teaching was going to, and I can honestly say that nothing I ever took in a, in a methods class Besides that, was of any value yeah. once you actually get in front of, right. you know, 25 hormone-driven yeah. uh, juniors and seniors or whatever. They don't whatever teach level. you what to do when, like, somebody throws a chair <laughs> at you or oh, whatever. I had, oh, I, oh, I had that. Within the first yeah. five years, I had a kid pick up a chair and threaten me with it. Yeah. Uh, I'm off. We're really, <laughs> I'm going to cut all of this out because... because. Great. So anyway, so now you, you have, uh, after you left the news, are you, you're not doing any writing except for your own uh, well, edification? At this I, point? I am pursuing like some freelance opportunities. I've, I've written something for the new art magazine here. It's called Cornelia, just to give it a little shout out. Please little do. 
Yeah, it covers art in Rochester, Buffalo, and Toronto. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a regional publication. So I did a review for that, and I'm sort of poking around for other freelance jobs. But that's not. I'm not um, following that as a career path. I'm always going to be writing. I have some bigger writing projects that I'm working on um, that I'm sure that I'll, people will know about <laughs> before long. Um, but uh, my main focus right now is really getting ready to be in the high school classroom and yes. be like, uh, it's a very difficult uh, job to prepare for that. So oh, it's that's, a huge transition. That's where all my were. that's where all my focus is right now. And and where did that come from? That sudden? It, I'm sure it wasn't a sudden desire, but the decision. I want to be a teacher. Well, uh, it was and an English teacher of all things, because you know, that's tough. Yeah, you know, it's 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 the class that everybody has to take mm-hmm. and nobody wants because we all speak English. Why do I have to learn about it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I've got my arguments ready for that. I don't <laughs> think they'll all stick, but you know, we'll, no, we'll see. Nothing um, sticks. Yeah, I've always loved education. My mom was a teacher. My dad was a librarian. So I grew up sort of in a family of educators, and it's something that I've I've been in classrooms, you know, throughout my whole career presenting for students on art, writing, journalism. Mm -hmm. So it's something I've sort of been comfortable with for quite a long time. And I thought, well, if I'm thinking post-career, post-journalism career career options, what what do most people do? They go into public relations or they go into corporate communications. Mm -hmm. And I'm just really not a corporate communications or PR type guy. You know what I mean? No knock on that. I think it's a fascinating career. Um, but for me personally, I've always felt like I wanted to do something that has a public service aspect. That's why I was so content covering the arts for so long in Western New York, because it's so important to our identity as a community, as a region. And I felt like it was a public service, for lack of a better term, to write about it and capture it for the readers and hopefully help it thrive. Um, so that was extremely rewarding to me because I felt like it was something contributing to the public good. Mm-hmm. I couldn't see a way to like do corporate PR and have it work yeah. for the public good. I, I, I absolutely agree with you. And and as I said, I stumbled into teaching, but there's nothing more more rewarding and yet frustrating. Yeah. Because you just don't know how much you're having an effect. You, you'll find out you know, years and years later, somebody might walk up yeah. to you, but you really are working for the public good. Yeah. Because why else would you be doing it? You're not doing it for the money. <laughs> no, you're not doing it for the money. <laughs> well, then again, I wasn't doing for the popularity for the money either, because there isn't a ton of money in that. No, so. no, there isn't. But but I see your point about it, that by by publicizing and and this is something that's always bothered me too. And I, and I'm sure that you've had opinions about this. It might even be, have something to do with why you, you're no longer with the Buffalo News. But I couldn't understand why one of the one of the things that we have going for us in this city is that we have too damn much theater, more theater than we deserve to have. Yeah, let's not say there's too much. No, we there's, don't there's never too much. Road. But but for the population and for the support that we get, it's 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 astounding. Yeah. It's in incredible. a city this size. Yeah. And if that is one of the things that we are most well known for and most proud of, how we got on the back page of the gusto and you know theater is listed back in in my day <laughs> you know before that was the, the 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 gusto it was something else i mean the front pages the, the always the first part of it was was about theater yeah all the stories were at the beginning you know everything was theater focused i shouldn't say theater focused but but it was much more prominently yeah. displayed than it is and i i don't know 
how that happened, that it, I, that it I think, disappeared. I think journalism is in a crisis. And during moments of crisis in any industry, you get decision makers who make who, who sort of act out of desperation mm -hmm. and what they decided to do and it's financial it's fi it's it's much deeper than a financial problem it's a, a failure to understand the community in which they live and operate um, the, the editors of the buffalo news are completely out of touch with what motivates buffalonians mm -hmm. and readers except for their millionaire and billionaire um, sports friends mm -hmm. and sports. Um, and what journalism needs to do at this point is reinvent itself so it has broad bases of subscribers. That means covering things that people care about. It's very, it's quite simple. But because the editor and publisher of the news are so disconnected from the community, they don't go out that much. Uh, although the editor, I will mention, is a theater fan, mm -hmm. um, but he has a very dim view of the visual arts, um, which is inexplicable in a mm -hmm. town like this. So there's a real disconnect between what readers want and what they find um, important to to cover. Um, and their mission is kind of confused by a, an unwillingness to understand the public they're supposed to serve. And that's the real basic problem at the news. I mean, it's there's certainly economic forces that are making it worse. But it's a combination of sort of ignorance of the community and these sort of unassailable economic problems that newspapers across America are facing right of course. now. But it's not just it's not one or the other. It's a sort of a perfect storm of, of both things kind of resulting in this downward trajectory at the news. I think that and, and I think also that because the you know, yes, we're a sports crazy town and, and yes, we're, we're all happy for what the Zemskis have done and the Pagulas have done and what's happening at Canal Side. But but you're sort of covering the, the, the story after the fact, as opposed to steering Right. Steering public opinion and steering the direction. So we don't really have anybody steering us toward right. toward the arts. It's just sort of an afterthought. And, it, and it, I have to say, I am I'm very proud of the work I was able to do over 13 years in, in helping to, in some way, I hope, glue the arts community together, help them view themselves as one kind of community and that was not something just I did but it happened in 2011 when the the budget crisis came up with the Colin the Chris Collins administration mm -hmm. um, but I think it was important to have a voice advocate advocating for uh, culture in Western New York as like a very important economic and and regional force that it is you know it gets too often backgrounded um, to sports yes and I think if you if you look at what's what people pay attention to what people click on for example um they they do click on stories about the arts they do want to read about um culture um and personalities and culture in buffalo however most of the resources go towards sports out of a misplaced assumption that that's what buffalo that's the only thing buffalo cares about mm -hmm. right it's a fundamental misunderstanding of the audience and i think that's what's driven this sort of decline in professional arts coverage and the transition to using freelancers over staff people because it's much cheaper to cover the arts that sure. way as a business decision i kind of understand it but i think it's there's not there's no replacement for um, professional journalist earning a salary and being dedicated to to that community right. because you take a lot of slings and arrows you know in that job it's not easy right so to to think about doing it for a hundred bucks a pop um, mm -hmm. I, no thanks, not for me, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but still the editorial focus, uh, yeah. even if you were using all all individual stringers or I individual 
I don't even know what they would call it, independent contractors yeah. for these things. Uh, the editorial focus would not push them toward the arts no. Any, anymore. No, they're ideologically opposed to it. It's a, it's a somewhat conservative um, view of the arts as an intellectual pursuit. Mm -hmm. um, and there's an anti-intellectualism that kind of runs through yes. that thinking. And it's you see it in larger publications, but in Buffalo, it's, it's kind of um, glaring because, mm -hmm. um, yeah, the ownership of the papers is quite conservative politically. And you see this distrust, uh, a kind of elitism um, that they view uh, the arts as representing. Whereas in Buffalo, it's a grassroots thing. Oh, it's like it a working class is. thing, you know? It, it really is. It, it is not elitist in, in any way, although there's some aspects of it that might be. Sure. But it's really what defines this place, right? The arts is what the beating heart and soul of, I, of I Buffalo. Abso I absolutely agree with you. I remember, I remember when... The, the Sunday Gusto started. I wrote to you, I believe. Yeah. I think I sent you, you an email. You did. And, you and, I, and I said, thank you for, <laughs> because it was, uh, it was a place where the arts were recognized in a paper that a lot of people only get on Sunday. Yeah. You know, and it was right there on the front page, whether it, whether it was theater or was there some other, whether it was the Buffalo Philharmonic or something. Yeah. It was right there. And then it got, uh, 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 now, now it's actually, there are some, they call it, not just Sunday Gusto, but Gusto Extra. There are those yeah. little things that are thrown. Yes, I still get a hard copy of the paper. I'm so glad you do. And I do want to say, like, I have, I don't have super positive things to say about the management of the news, but many of my friends still work there. They do incredible work. I'm still a subscriber and will always be. And I would encourage people to subscribe and support that work oh. because it's so important to our to our community. And I will add this: when they were having the the, the recent contract issues, I also wrote to I think I wrote to Jeff Myers. I wrote to some others because the, the reason to to read the news is the local writers. Right. You can look through any issue of the, of the news, and you will see articles from from you know New York Times and the Washington Post and so on. But I don't care about any of those. Right. Of course. You know, I see. I don't care about those. I care. What every now and then Jeff Simon throws in, and I care. Every Even now if you and don't then, agree with it, right? Oh, oh, oh that's hard, half the reason to read it. Exactly. So you cannot agree with it. You know, I'm sure you, as a critic, same thing. were the same thing. Um, and and are critics aware of that? Yeah, I, I've been meaning to, you're aware of the fact that you're you're uh, causing people to. <laughs> Self-destruct. Not even, <laughs> even self-destruct, but you don't. You don't I can't believe he wrote that. I yeah. can't believe he said that about us. I, I think every great critic knows that that's the reaction that they're getting, and there's no such thing as being right as a critic. <laughs> I think that's the the great the great misunderstanding about what critics are up there doing. You know, we're we're one. I'm one guy. I have my own perspective, mm -hmm. my own background, and my own uh, subconscious biases. Um, which will have can't help but display themselves in my work. If I thought my opinion was the only right one, I would be like completely insane. So it's what you do is you, as a reader, you gauge your own opinion to the critic. But that's what a columnist does. It's, yes. it's his opinion. Exactly. And you sort did you of, have a philosophy yeah. about that? I mean, did you, for example, when you saw a show, uh, maybe you'd seen it elsewhere, and you come in with a with a uh, preconceived notion of the way you've seen it before. Exactly. Yeah. Did you look at the show as a, as a whole, as what it was there in front of you, or or could you not help but be influenced by, I'm disappointed by this character because it wasn't the way I expected mm -hmm. it to be? H how do you deal with that and I, keep it? Every critic deals with that differently. My approach was to try to be honest about, if I was coming into a show with a preconception 
I tried to be honest that I saw it in such and such production. Mm -hmm. You know, I saw the off-Broadway version of Angels in America, and, you know, I'm going to try not to let that inform my... But I think the way you... The most honest and best way to confront that is to just be upfront about what your what your own past experiences have been mm -hmm. and let the reader decide for themselves if they think your review is biased or not. And then discount or embrace your opinion Based on that, that's the beautiful thing about criticism. We're all flawed human beings. Even the critic scribbling in his notepad in the back of the theater mm -hmm. um, is a flawed human being. Um, and isn't that the beautiful part of of culture writing and criticism and art in general, the subjectivity of it all? Yes. Um, uh, my goal was to get people thinking. And I, don't, I did not care one bit if they agreed with me or not or if they uh, went to see the show or not. My, my goal was to get people to think more deeply about the art that was being presented in this town mm -hmm. and and to give them kind of a guide if they wanted to. Did you feel it was your job to help promote the theater? Not the, the, a specific theater, but theater in yeah. general? So so as yeah. part of it, you would still, within within the context of, of your, of your crit criticism, try to encourage people to see theater? Yeah, I, I think... Did you think that was part of your job? My philosophy was I would hold all theater in town to a very high standard mm -hmm. and thereby hopefully improve the quality of theater overall. Mm -hmm. what, a, what a sort of um, self-obsessed notion, <laughs> narcissistic <laughs> notion that is to think that I could do that. But I, that was my approach. I, I was harsh and, and I was, um, you know, a tough grader because I wanted it to be better. And I thought that I did that because I love theater. And I think that holding theater to a higher bar is is the most respectful thing that you can do for the art form. Mm -hmm. You know, so people would get often get angry at me if they got a one and a half star or a two star review. Um, there's people to this day who will not look at me or speak to me um, because that may have happened to them. Well, get used to it because when you yeah. get in a high school classroom. Oh, well, we're not there to make friends, right? <laughs> that would be sure. that would be wrong. Um, yeah. You know, that that just came with it, right? So I, I, did, I love theater and I want more people to enjoy it and build the audience. Mm -hmm. But the only way I could see of doing that was by holding it to a very high standard and not letting people off the hook for their failures because one of the things that that, that motivates my writing and my thinking is that audiences are extremely intelligent, much more intelligent than we often give them credit for. And newspaper readers are much more intelligent than we give them credit for. And they will know when they're being misled by a critic or anyone else. Mm -hmm. So there's no point in not being honest and not holding the art to a very high standard. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I never saw the use of pulling punches. Just <laughs> never saw it. No. And, but uh, but there are theater people in town who could tell you that half star cost me, not me personally. Those that half star cost us uh, X number of uh, uh, of you know reservations, X number of of tickets. Yeah. They could tell you exactly what a half half of a star. Right. Oh, the star system. We we don't. Have time. <laughs> I've got five minutes left with you, and I don't want well, to. We get don't into have star system. We'd need five hours to <laughs> break right. that down. Yeah. But anyway, that, that's neither here nor there. But yeah. what, what was the so what did you enjoy most about being a critic? Oh, just just meeting incredible artists. I, I think as being a writer, not necessarily just a critic, but getting to sit face to face with incredible performers and artists in this town and get access to sort of their stories and interesting spaces and projects and get an inside view mm -hmm. of how creative people at the top of their craft are really working 
was the best part of it for me. Um, it wasn't about, you know, throwing my weight around on the, on the pages of gusto. I mean that I f felt like was more of an obligation. That's why I was hired. So I was going to do a damn good job at it. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I, what, what I really loved more was sitting face to face with people like you and, and really learning people's stories. So you were like a, a, a fan yeah. And you got to see the backstage. It's not to see the backstage. I don't mean that literally. I mean that yeah. figuratively. Yes. You've got to see the, the workings of the machine. Exactly. And hopefully explain it in a way that made the art form more appealing to, to bigger audiences. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to grow the audience um, for theater and for visual arts, for, for just creativity, you know, in general in, in Buffalo. And I hope I did that in some way. Yes. I, we should probably, before we wrap this up, talk about the, the resurgence, the renaissance of yeah, Buffalo. absolutely. And and where do you think it's going, and, and do you think it will continue, and what do you think is responsible for it? And, you know. I think we're, we're hitting a plateau, and I think um, it's largely a fantasy. Um, it's funny to say that when you see all these new buildings going up, but what, if we think about what's financing it, 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 a lot of it comes from tax breaks, for large corporations which are building or re rehabbing downtown properties um, because they get off the hook on their taxes to do so and it becomes ultimately finally profitable for them to build these buildings but there's no genuine economic driver behind that mm -hmm. it's just tax we're breaks. still a poor very poor city extremely One poor of the poorest in the extremely country. segregated yes and we very much we built a billion dollar factory along the river that i think was recently valued at about 70 million dollars mm -hmm. it's a heck of a write down so it's built on fantasies and lies um the real renaissance to me has always been cultural yes. in this town for the last 20 years there's been an explosion of culture across across every imaginable manifestation of the arts and that's the real renaissance that's the grassroots renaissance the economic renaissance that we hear about is mostly fictional i agree yeah. and until we see um the poverty the poverty dynamics of this city changing or job opportunities for you know the unforgivable percentage of, for example, black um, residents of Buffalo who are out of work, um, then we'll, the 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 Renaissance narrative will be a lie, mm -hmm. and we we need to hold our publications and our our conversations to a higher standard um, and really recognize what we're saying when we say Renaissance is really a Renaissance for the one percent. Hmm. Is there anything that well, what do you think can be done? To, because we've already talked about how the, the obviously the local papers aren't really helping with the artistic renaissance. Right. They're focusing on all of the wrong things. I mean, is this just destined to bottom out or, or peak and then just flatline? I think we're, we're already hitting a plateau. And I think if we see a change in the governorship, um, God forbid, if it goes to the other side of the political spectrum especially, mm -hmm. we'll... we'll the things that have been driving the veneer of the Renaissance, these new buildings will dry up. It's a great word for it. It's a veneer. Yeah. And we'll be stuck um, with a lot of big empty buildings mm -hmm. and closed restaurants. And we're already starting to see that. So mm -hmm. my hope is that, that the, all the rhetoric about this activity spurring actual economic growth might take miraculously. I don't think it's impossible. I just think it's unlikely because it's a whole trickle down thing that they're trying to work out and that we all know how Unless trickle down works. Unless the medical corridor <laughs> actually becomes, you know, a, a, some kind of a magnet that draws people, not just in the medical community, but, yeah. but one thing leads to the next. And, and I, 
hope that maybe that... Never say never. Um, <laughs> but there, you have to understand that every other city is also building a medical campus to reinvent their economies, and they're far ahead of us. Places mm-hmm. like Cleveland and even New Orleans are, are uh, way ahead of the game on that. Yeah. Um, so I love Buffalo. I want it to have a real renaissance. And I, but the renaissance and the artistic meaning of the term, right, yes. is real in Buffalo. And yeah. that's why it's so important to um, figure out new ways to focus on all the great art and theater that's happening in this town because it's unprecedented. I don't think there's ever been as much. And it's a great moment. Well, I have to let you out of here, but I just want to sincerely tell you that when you finally get into teaching, you call me anytime. I still have a whole bunch of things on computer disk. If you can find someplace that has a floppy, <laughs> floppy disk, <laughs> it might reader. be hard. <laughs> um, and uh, actually, I, I think I still have them somewhere in the cloud too. But I'd be happy to help you out because you're going to need it. Absolutely. Those first four or five years are just hell. Colin Dubkowski, thank you so much for being here and talking with me today. Thank you so much, Pete. It's been an honor. So that was pretty cool, huh? Colin Debkowski always wanted to talk to a critic about what he's really thinking, what's going through his mind when he's ruining my life. Anyway, uh, I thought he had a really interesting take on Buffalo theater and Buffalo community in general and where things are going and where they are probably not going. So I thank once again Colin Debkowski for sitting down with me on this podcast. And before we go, I'd just like to say that I hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving. It's coming up this week, and you won't hear from me again before then, so I hope you have a great one. And the next show at Road Less Traveled is The Antipodes by Annie Baker. It runs January 16th through February 9th, and it's starring Road Less Traveled Productions' American theater master, the stage and screen actor, Sean Cullen. Now, the American Theater Master Program at Road Less Traveled is one where they, they bring to Buffalo a nationally recognized theatrical luminaries of sorts, usually playwrights or, or directors. Uh, they've had Edward Albee, uh, Pam McKinnon, uh, A.R. Gurney. Uh, the last one was Don Margulies, and he wrote The Country House, which is a show I appeared in and really enjoyed performing. And it was terrific meeting him and talking to him after the show, and he was very, very highly complimentary of the production itself. Anyway, this time, the American theater master is Sean Cullen. And I'll tell you more about Sean Cullen in the future and how he got to be chosen as a, an American theater master for the Road Less Traveled program. If you're not quite sure who Sean Cullen is, if you saw his picture, you would recognize him from stage and screen and television, and he's from Buffalo, or the Buffalo area. This guy's been around. I wonder if he'd be willing to come on and talk to me on the podcast. (laughs) Probably not. Anyway, have a good Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll see you next time on the Road Less Traveled's Off-Road Podcast.